Friday the 2nd of July 2021 and you're listening to episode 23 of Reds Unrestricted. In today's episode we'll take an in-depth look at some of the players that could be on Liverpool's radar this summer as they look to strengthen the midfield and attacking areas. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. I'm your host, David Comerford, and I'm joined, as usual, by my co-host, Dan Club. Dan, obviously, the point of discussion this week is transfers again. Um, obviously, today, United have confirmed their agreement for Sancho. I wanted to mm-hmm. get your opinion on, on that and also how concerned you are by some of the the transfer room as well and around our rivals, you know, Kane and Grealish to City, potentially yeah. Haaland to Chelsea. Yeah, there are obviously concerns there, but I'm not overly worried yet because the way we do our business tends to be in quite swift fashion. They tend to come out of nowhere, certainly if you look at the Jota one. But I think Sancho is a brilliant signing for United. There's no getting away from that. And Grealish and Kane would be, you know, better signings for City, you'd have to say. But there's a lot of sort of worry and panic on Twitter at the minute if you uh, allow yourself to be sucked in by that. But I'm not at that stage yet. But at the same time, I would like to see us do... I know we signed Canate today officially, but I'd like to see us do something a little bit more proactive like our rivals are. So last week we looked more generally at Liverpool's biggest priorities. Today we're going to assess some specific players who might fit the bill and... We're going to do that with the help of Josh Williams, who's a football scout and writer uh, for Reach PLC. Uh, Josh, thanks for coming on today. Um, same question to you, really. Immediate reaction to Sancho and potential concerns about those um, those other transfers that might be brewing for our rivals. Yeah, I think I think Sancho in particular is, is a bit of a frustrating one, really. Um, simply because there's kind of no real downside to the deal whatsoever. You know, the certain transfers that United have done in the past and have been a little bit ill-advised, really, in the business. And there's been potential that he could go wrong. Even Bruno Fernandes, there was potential downsides attached to that one. But when it comes to Sancho, it seems pretty guaranteed that he's going to be a bit of a success, you know, possibly for the next decade. Um, Really versatile across different positions. Despite those changes in position, he offers goals and assists virtually everywhere. Alongside that, he's a really good carrier of the ball, keen dribbler, um, finds the penalty boxes with uh, penalty box with carries and passes. So, you know, he's young, he's very, very rarely injured. So he just takes a lot of the boxes and he's kind of in attack at least what United didn't have in terms of a right sided player who can who can play on that right side. So it, it's a bit of a problem, I'm not gonna lie. Um but I, I will always kind of, you know, look at our own camp. And I think despite the fact that Sancho's really, really good, I still think that, you know, Liverpool's strongest side, even if the United were to go and sign Varane as well, who they're linked with, mm. I think Liverpool's strongest side is still more than comfortable enough to compete with these top sides. And you could argue that Liverpool's best team, Sancho maybe doesn't get in it. You could argue Varane doesn't get in it. Um, maybe there's a bit of a stretch in that, but 
I, I still think that Liverpool's strongest team and Liverpool's squad as well, really, is still more than strong enough at the minute to compete for the Premier League. And, um, you know, a lot of people seem to overlook that. A lot of people like the, the you know, the shiny news toy sort of thing yeah. when, if you look at what we've currently got, it is still really, really strong. And we ha- we have added Canate, who, are, who again, I think, because we, we signed him so early, I think a lot of people are overlooking him too. Mm. I just want to say, Dave, before you finish off, so I just want to say as well, I think with the Sancho on Overran, I think if they were going into United with a proven winner as a manager, I'd be more concerned. But the fact that Skullshell is still there, it doesn't worry me that they probably would. Even if it had been like a Mourinho of years gone by, I think I'd be more concerned than the current situation. Well, that's a sensible way of looking at it, I think, um, on both counts. So, in terms of Liverpool's transfers, obviously, you've mentioned that the Canarse deal has been done. Not too many concrete links out there. Um, and as I said before, it's still early days, and we know Liverpool like to keep their business under wraps. What we've tried to do here is pick out some of the most credible links that have emerged. So, well, we're going to ask Josh to sort of profile these players' strengths, weaknesses, suitability, that sort of thing, and then maybe throw in a, a, a kind of a score at the end out of 10 for how good a signing um, he thinks they'd be. Um, so we'll start with uh, potential Wijnaldum replacements, um, certainly in terms of getting the numbers back in the midfield. Um, and the first of those that we're going to look at is Florian Neuhaus. So, in terms of the sources for this information, um, James Pierce has written that we've scouted them extensively, although we haven't made a formal approach to Gladbach yet. And we've also seen David Lynch write that we've made contact with the players' representatives and that Neuhaus would, would be keen to make the move, unsurprisingly. Price-wise, he had a €40 million Euro release clause, which has now expired, but apparently their asking price remains fairly reasonable. So, Josh, um, let's sort of start simple on this one. How similar a player is he to Wijnaldum? And what are the kind of key similarities and differences with the two players? I think he's he's quite different to Wijnaldum, I'd say. Um, one, one comparison they do share is that the neither of them are ever injured. So that was one of Wijnaldum's biggest traits, really, wasn't it? It was the fact that he's always available. Um, and when you look at Neuhaus, based on his, his injury record... Um, according to transfer markets, at least he hasn't actually suffered an injury. I think it's since 2017. So in terms of his availability, that's a massive box ticked. But in terms of how he plays the game, I'd say he's quite different to Wijnaldum. I think he's more inclined to impose his passing game on proceedings. I think Wijnaldum, that was arguably Wijnaldum's worst box for me. I think in terms of Wijnaldum being a keen passer of the ball and not only that, but just getting touches, just getting on the ball on a regular basis, lots, lots throughout the game. I think when Alden was had a bit of a tendency to uh, to drift into the background sometimes. Um, so I think Neuhaus has got that edge on. He's also, I think they, they, they compare quite well when it comes to press resistance as well. So if they're getting closed down in the middle of the midfield, Neuhaus has, has little ways out. When Alden had ways out himself. Um I'd say Wijnaldum's probably more versatile. Wijnaldum's more inclined to, you know, if Liverpool are a goal down and Klopp needs basically another presence in the penalty box, Wijnaldum does have that versatility about his game where he can just basically switch it up at the drop of a hat almost. And Klopp can say, right, you're now changing from 
what is essentially a, a relatively safe midfielder most weeks, staying behind the ball. If he gives Wildham license to then start attacking the penalty box and scoring a late goal, which we've seen against you know Barcelona, Manchester City, uh, Middlesbrough a few seasons ago was a big goal. So when he has that role change and he steps up into a box to box role, Wildham can just deliver these goals. I don't think Neuhaus has that to his game either. Um, I've seen Neuhaus compared to Xabi Alonso actually, and I think that's probably a, a decent shout. I think he's um. He's got that passing nature about his game, really clever, quite smart, and his position is just generally quite good. But when it comes to offering the, you know, the versatility and the, maybe the, the the goals that Wijnaldum offers, I think he maybe is a little bit different to that. Um, and maybe in terms of his, his running ability as well, I'd I tweeted something a few weeks back. Um, my Twitter's at distance covered, and if you if you check a few weeks back, it's I looked into his running because um, it was covered quite quite a lot on Twitter as a as a concern, and the Bundesliga is one of the few leagues that delves into physical stats and stuff like that. So I was able to to have a look and just comparing them against really general Bundesliga players, you know, compared them against fullbacks and forwards and midfielders and all that sort of stuff. And out of the, I think I, I think I gathered about thirty players just to gauge a picture for myself more than anything, for intensive runs on a pay and empty basis and sprints on a pay and empty basis. And I, I put it in the scatter plot and Neuhaus was the, well, the, I, I don't think slowest is the right term, but Neuhaus was the absolute bottom left of the quadrant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the likes of Axel Witzel, Florian Gilrasic, Dennis Zachariah, Mahmoud the Hood, who Liverpool were linked with a few years back, Joshua yeah. Kimmich, all of these players were just either running more than him or sprinting more more than him, basically. Um, so he certainly doesn't have that sort of game. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting because I think Liverpool with the Thiago signing seem to maybe move towards you know midfielders who have a bit of possession value on them when it comes to passing and stuff like that. So maybe it's just a switch in that direction, really. Yeah, I guess you can look at it in terms of is it the the team evolving with the signings or is it maybe the players having to evolve when they come into the team? Obviously, you've given a very thorough profile there, so we, we can move on from my house in a second. I just wanted to ask, though, in terms of the actual the quality of the player, do you think it's fair to say we're looking at someone who is going to end up at one of the very best teams in the world, whether that's Liverpool or someone else? Yeah, well, I say that, you know, Liverpool shouldn't really have any interest in any player unless he has either world-class ability or world-class potential. I don't think he has world-class ability just yet. And I think the potential is is there enough for him to warrant some move to, to one of these big clubs. He's obviously been linked with Liverpool lately. He's been linked with Bayern Munich as well. Those are two potential champion, Champions League winning clubs. So I'd say he's certainly got enough quality to, um, to be deserving of a move to to one of the clubs that can compete for the Champions League title. Just to conclude then, if you give maybe that score out of 10 for what you think, if you if Liverpool were to sign Neuhaus, what, how good a sign do you think it would be on that scale? Um, It's difficult actually because, you know, you'd have to incorporate value in that and and whatever Liverpool were to pay for the services. But I'd say it's a, 
at, at the very least, a seven out of ten, I'd say for that one. I'd, I'd say seven, eight out of ten. He's, I, I don't think he's going to be. If he was to sign, he wouldn't. He wouldn't be the type of player to assume the spotlight. He wouldn't, you know, have you on the edge of the seat and like that. He, he's not that type of player when you watch him. He just, he's just really sensible. a really sensible player. Good on the ball, offers nice things and stuff like that. But in terms of being, say, a Sancho, he's not that. But you don't really need that, providing you've got that in other departments. Yeah, so a bit closer to home, really, and one, you know, we're a bit more au fait with, if you like, in this country. Obviously, John McGinn, um, Aston Villa, um, kind of a bit of a curveball of a link, I thought, a couple of weeks ago now. Um, James Pierce, obviously, probably the main man for Liverpool transfers, said the interest is very real. I know Klopp's spoken of it very highly in the past. Um, although there is no sort of imminent expectation of a transfer potentially happening or even, you know, concrete offers. Um, I think the price quoted to begin with was like 45 to 50 million. Um, and that's probably partly due to the fact they signed the five-year contract in 2020. So Villa definitely hold all the cards when it comes to trying to sign in. Um, he's 26. The angle I wanted to get from you, Josh, on this really was, you probably give us a detail on the player and how he'd fit into Liverpool's system. Um, I look at him as quite a worker, um, similar to Wijnaldum in many ways, his work rate is really high, and that's why I think Klopp probably does quite like him. But I wanted to ask if you were quite surprised at the links. Yeah, yeah, I think I was. I, I, don't get me wrong, I think he's the type of player who vaguely fits what Klopp wants from a midfielder. I think Klopp just generally is after a player who is just extremely well-rounded in midfield, really. I think mm. that's that's kind of, you know, a jack-of-all-trades type deal. If you look at Henderson, Milner, Wijnaldum, Cater to an extent, Cater Jones even. Yeah. You know, these these players kind of are a solid seven out of ten really in every department. And I think John McGinn is is quite like that. You know, he's he doesn't have very many weaknesses, maybe. He's quite mobile, strong. Again, he's always available. Hmm. It offers the odd little goal and assist every now and then as well. He's got a shot on him, certainly. Works hard without the ball. He can dribble. So he, there's definitely plenty of perks there. Um, I think the reason maybe I was a bit... He's also quite two-footed as well, by the way. Um, but I think the reason I was quite surprised, maybe, is simply because I feel like, could Liverpool get better? I think that's that's probably yeah. my my thing with it. You know, when I said earlier about world-class ability or world-class potential, for me, McGinn doesn't mm. take hide for those boxes. He's a good player. He's a player who'd certainly contribute and stuff like that. But he he strikes me as the type of player who would maybe represent maybe a Leicester or Villa, Everton, you know, that kind of bracket. And I think yeah. Liverpool, considering what the aspirations of the side and stuff like that, I just expected the club to maybe... I mean, he might still do this, but I, I expected when I saw the links and stuff, I, I thought Liverpool would maybe aim a bit higher. And I think... I wouldn't be surprised if McGinn was on the shortlist, mm. but maybe as low as like fifth, sixth on the shortlist, as opposed to the near the top three. Yeah, well, I've I've wrote down the word quality here, and that was kind of reference to what you just said. Is as much as I think he's a good player, um, I don't think he's of the quality Liverpool need or should be looking to get. Certainly, when you're looking at someone to kind of break into a side, because I think we all know, you know, Thiago Henderson and Fabinho is probably the the ideal perfect midfield for next season. But 
you know, outside of that, I'm not sure, especially at 50 million, I'm not sure John McGinn is the man to bring in to change that. But I also understand Villa's point of view because that's what he's worth to them. And I'm fully on board with that and I get that and that's fair play. So um, I'll get you to give us a score out of seven on John McGinn as well. I can't a score out of seven, score out of ten. I can't imagine it being uh, anywhere near <laughs> two or seven. No, I think um, if McGinn was to come in, I'd say six. Um, yeah. And the reason I'd give him a six is because although, again, he's not the type of player to light it up and stuff, I, I do like the fact that he's available every single week. And I think he's got a similar character to Andy Robertson, which I think is really, really valuable. Um, again, quite versatile in the midfield, left footed and stuff. So, although he's not the, the name that many Liverpool fans maybe want to see, mm. I, I, I wouldn't go below a six certainly because of, uh, just because I think he's, um, you know, he's quite he's quite a nice player to have in your squad. But as you say, you know, the whole fifty million valuation for me is yeah. is daft. Yeah, can I just ask, can I just ask on this? Um, in the Athletics piece, kind of revealing these links, there was a line about how some of Liverpool's players were really impressed with how McGinn played in the in the 7-2 last year. Um, kind of thinking back to that game, what kind of memories stand out from his performance? And do you think, because I, I think this maybe is off the back of what happened with Minamino in a way, but do you think it's, it's almost risky to pursue a player partly based on the fact that they played very well against you? Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if if that was actually that much of a thing. To be honest, obviously it comes into it to an extent, and you can then ask the players, you know, what was he like to play against and stuff like that. But given how thorough Liverpool's recruitment process is supposed to be, hmm. I'd be really surprised if the club put much much weight in that sort of thing. Um, I think it's much more likely to to be a case of you know has this player played a lot over the past few years, and if he has. We've got plenty of minutes behind them to basically judge him on, which is, I think, a lot of the reason why Liverpool don't tend to pick up players who have just burst onto the scene. You know, if you think of like Sancho when he was available, Bellingham, um, you know, the Alexander Isaac when he first moved to Dortmund, all these really young players that Dortmund tend to pick up and United are often linked with and that sort of thing. Liverpool usually go for players who have just been around for a few seasons and as a result, Liverpool can kind of minimise the risk and stuff like that. Yeah. So I think that plays into it a bit more than, you know, has he played well against us, basically? Yeah, I, I definitely concur with that. I think the Minamino one looks like that now on reflection because of what's happened since. But you're dead right. I can't see Liverpool holding much weight with how he played against us, even though he was decent against us. Um, move on now to Rafinha. The links have kind of died down on this one, but there was a real sort of fanfare around it a good few weeks ago now, um, just to kind of cite the actual report. Graham Smith, the uh, chief football writer at the Yorkshire Evening Post, said that Liverpool, like most big clubs, will definitely have an interest in Rafinha, but there'd been no contact at that point. Um, and he did also say it would take a huge amount to get him. Um, 24 years old, Brazilian, quite a versatile attacker, which is kind of where I think we should go, somewhere, someone to cover probably at least both wings and ideally centrally. I think that would be the sort of ideal if I'd be looking at that. Um, just mention there in terms of how many games or minutes he's played. Obviously, he's only been in the Premier League for one season, but he had a serious impact in that season. Six goals, nine assists. Um, prior to that, he's on stints in France and Portugal and played a decent amount of footy, to be fair, for a 24-year-old. So, 
get you on this, Josh. Um, generally speaking, on Rafinha, um, what would you say are the most important boxes to tick for Liverpool this summer going forwards? And does he tick them? Yeah, I'll be honest. I, I like Rafinha. I think he's a good player, and I've linked with him. I've linked him to to the club a few times on on the podcast that I appear on every week. Um, he just seems to be generally the type of player that Klopp would like. He looks like yeah. the type of player who, um, if Klopp had, for example, just taken over this season, he'd probably go and sign this summer the way he did kind of with Sadio Mane. Um, one of the issues maybe with with Rafinha is his preferred position. Although you say he's versatile and stuff, which is definitely right. He predominantly plays on the right wing and he's left-footed. Now, another player who obviously is in that mould is Mohamed Salah. Um, and, you know, if both of those are available, one of them kind of has to move. And m- moving is not an issue, providing everyone's happy and providing everyone's getting the best. But if they're both vying for the same spot or if Klopp's keeping his 4-3-3 or whatever, that might be a tricky one for them to accommodate and I'll also throw in as well. It's maybe drifted under the radar how good of a season Harvey Elliott's had. Yeah. And he's another one who's playing on the right and is left-footed. And, you know, Liverpool kind of have this way about them where they don't want to basically take up a spot and block out a youngster who's going to show potential. So I think when it comes to Rafinha, that would be maybe a slight concern of mine that Liverpool will look at voids in the attack and deem that side of the pitch to be relatively covered, even though it's, yeah. you know, kind of not, a lot of it depends on Shaqiri's future and, and whether Elliot goes out on loan again, but just generally on Rafinha, I think, you know, he, he takes the versatile box, he's very, very intense with and without the ball, which I think Klopp likes, um, really fast, threatens him behind, and I think he's uh, he's obviously came through at Leeds United in the past season, which mm. is... You know, you can relate the um, the pressing styles of Bielsa and Klopp. So that, that'll obviously entice Liverpool in terms of his ability to work out the ball, his ability to run. He's also um, really good on the ball as well. You know, for an attacker, it's not just his shooting orders is providing that he's good. He's a really good passer the ball, the way he switches to play and stuff like that, the way he breaks lines with his passes. Mm. And in addition to that, he receives the ball as well, really well, you know, in dangerous areas and stuff like that. That's really important trait that um, Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane both show. And Rafinha's of that mould. And I think another another little perk of his as well is his set-piece delivery is, is really, really good. You know, he's, mm. he offers lots of perks in different areas. And there's, there's not many departments that Rafinha doesn't really tick when it comes to a Liverpool sign. You know, still 24 years old. Yeah. Um, He's got that Brazilian way about him, and we've got a few Brazilian players in the squad, so that would help him, I'm sure. And mm. he can play both flanks, which is a perk that Sadio Mane's got. So I think maybe his contract 2024 puts Leeds in a bit of a decent position. But just looking at Rafinha, he looks like the type of player, the type of link that uh, I, can, I can believe personally. Yeah, I actually, again, I've actually wrote down Liverpool type signing because. You know, it's a sort of signing we'd have done prior to Leeds doing it, like you kind of touched upon. Um, but I just wanted to pick up on a kind of weakness you said in terms of the fact that he obviously wants to play in the same position of Salah, Salah and Elliot. Um, and I suppose Elliot's future will kind of tell us whether we're going to move for him or not. But 
what the other thing I would say is, do you think Klopp working under Klopp, he might be able to hone his skills a little bit better and improve so he could play more predominantly on the left or even centrally? Do you think he's got that in him? Yeah, I mean, he's. It wouldn't be in left foot if he was to play on the left. He'd kind of behave a little bit more like a winger. But yeah. it depends on Liverpool's analysis of him, how good he basically is at going inside and outside. You know, if you look at Mane and if you look at Jota as well, who's another player who's really good at it, they're both really, really two-footed and they're both really comfortable whether you force them down the touchline or whether you force them inside. And Rafinha, you know, I'm sure Liverpool will have conducted analysis on the player. It depends basically whether... He's got that in his game, whether he's comfortable in inside positions. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons why Liverpool have opted against and have always played down the links to Adama Traore. Yeah. I think he's he's kind of a player who is only really comfortable on the outside, I think, and he, when he's presented with space to, to dart into. And don't get me wrong, he's a really difficult player to defend against. Yeah. But I think Rafinha and Jota and Mane are just kind of these players who are just... I don't know, just um, so multifaceted that that they, they don't really rely on a fixed situation to thrive. They can just kind of always be dangerous no matter kind of where they're fielded. And I think um, Rafinha looks like one of those to me. Yeah, definitely. Dave, did you want to uh, add anything on Rafinha or are we uh, getting a score? I think I'm happy to get the score. I think it's going to be a high one this time. I do as well, yeah. There's a lot of boxes ticked there for me. And it's, it's a link I've liked since day one, to be honest with you. Um, haven't really considered the Elliot sort of permutations, but yeah, so Josh, I'll get your uh, marks out of 10 on this one, please. Yeah, I, I think I'd go for it an 8 or a 9 on this one, I think. I'd, you know, no one's getting a 10 really, are they? But no, but it makes I a think, lot of sense, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it just it just seems like a sensible deal, and as I said, it's, it seems like the type of deal that Klopp would have probably done immediately in his first mm. season at Liverpool. The only reason he, he maybe wouldn't now is because he's already kind of got those players at his disposal, but yeah. You know, the way it is that we want to add to them. So, sad. Um, Dave, I know, you, I know you've been dying to get to this fella, so I'll let you crack on. Yeah. Um, last but last and certainly not least, um, Daniel Marlon from PSV. Yeah. Someone um, I've actually wrote, wrote about myself, but um, I'm certainly not. I'm certainly not an analyst. So, I'm sure uh, Josh is more of an expert on, on him than I am. In terms of the actual links, uh, Fabrizio Romano said Liverpool are one of the clubs interested. Uh, it looks like Dortmund might be in for them as well. Obviously, they've just lost Sancho. Um, potential replacements among their forward options there. Price-wise, potentially a lot cheaper than Rafinha. Um, reports from the Netherlands that he could be available for £25 million. Um, one of the things I, I looked at, Josh, in, in the article I did about him was kind of a general point about forwards from... Uh, the Dutch league and obviously it's a huge hit and miss contrast you know on one side you've got players like Suarez um, who's probably the main success story and then even players like I think Lozano um, who did really well at Napoli this year after a slightly slow start um, and Milik as well I think is quite a solid goal scorer came from came from that league but then on the other side you've got you know Vincent Janssen your handbacks from from Brighton who've flop pretty majorly um, after flying in that league so the players we've looked at previously you know two from the Premier League one from the Bundesliga Marlon's a bit different coming from a, a lower tier league how cautious do we have to be then when we look um, at the Eredivisie 
Yeah, it's it's definitely something that you've got to consider. You know, this was when I was speaking earlier about Sancho and stuff. I think that was one of the question marks attached to Bruno Fernandes. That was one of the, you know, the reasons where you could look at that from a Liverpool perspective and think, okay, it might go wrong. Obviously, it didn't. Um, and I think usually if the quality is there, if the mentality is there and stuff, and once the player arrives in England, if the you know the setup's right and the, he's presented with a fair platform to thrive. I don't think it's overly an issue, but I think the differences between certain leagues and the quality demand in certain leagues is, is definitely a thing. It's definitely different. And I think the Premier League is, I think for lack of, lack of a better word, it's just basically a man's league, isn't it? It's, um, you know, I think when Salah first came to, to England and he was at Chelsea, you know, we, he obviously didn't get really a look in, but he... He, he hadn't really matured much by then anyway. And I think when, he, when Liverpool eventually moved to sign him and bring him back, I think he actually said himself, I'm I'm now a man, basically. And he was then able to perform. So it definitely does test you. And it's something that Liverpool would have to be aware of. But again, it's just the type of thing that I think Liverpool will do the, the due diligence, basically. And I think one thing that will help with this sort of thing is surrounding Marlon with the likes of, you know, Virgil van Dijk and Jordan Henderson and Fabinho and you know the, the Liverpool have got real steel, uh, you know, a proper spine in 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 that side. And I think when that's the case, the youngsters coming through, the players who maybe haven't achieved it all just yet, just feel a lot more comfortable and a lot more. The presenter would basically a better platform to thrive. You know, they, the the um, the players who came through at United all those years ago, you know. David Beckham, Gary Neville and all that, they, they all speak about it, you know, at the time when they came through, they was real established leaders in the team at the time, so I think it's definitely a thing, and it would be a bit of a concern, I'd like to, I'd like him to be coming from somewhere that's a bit more established than the Dutch Eredivisie, but given his talent, he, you know, he, he's still a player that Liverpool, I'm sure, would, would certainly consider. And obviously that's kind of the two sides of the coin, you've got you know, more difficult opposition in this league, but also, you know, higher quality teammates and, and coaching as well, really. Um, one thing I wanted to pick up on with Marlon is um, something that Sam Maguire mentioned. Obviously, he's another Liverpool analyst. And I was reading about uh, Pat Sandaka, an article he wrote about him yesterday. Obviously, he's just moved to Leicester. And he talks about the importance of, of scalable output um, when it comes to picking up players from lower tier European leagues. Can you explain what he kind of means by that and why it could be a concern in the case of Marlon, who's obviously got, you know, he got 27 goals last season in the Dutch league? Yeah, well, I think a lot of the time a player will thrive because of the circumstances, because of, you know, what he's presented with, basically. And I think in terms of Marlon and Patson Dacher as well, they're both similar in terms of the playing in kind of a league where it's not not very developed and a lot of the players, you know, the average age gen, generally tends to be fairly low and in addition to that, both Marlon and Dakar are both, well, or we're both playing for, you know, arguably the dominant side in the league, certainly when it comes to Dakar. Um And as a result of that, this was one of the question marks attached to Haaland. Um, obviously, he's proved it since. But, you know, as a result of that, the likes of Dakar and, and Marlon, they, they just generally get loads and loads of chances. Um, 
and I think I think that was me. I'm, I'm double checking now as I'm talking, but I think in the season that's just finished in the Bundesliga in the Austin Bundesliga. I think he was averaging about almost five shots a game. Yeah, four four point two shots per ninety. Um, and that's just that's a lot, you know. In, in the Premier League, for example, in the season just finished, I think the player who averaged the most shots per ninety was Kane, and that was about. I think it was about 3.8 last season. So, Dacher is almost certain if he was to join Liverpool, despite Liverpool being the dominant side, Dacher would be almost certain to, to not be presented with as many shots, as many opportunities to basically find a net and stuff like that. Um, so, you kind of have to ask, you kind of have to ask the question, if, if that gets halved, you know, how effective is he going to be? Is he still going to be able to contribute Despite goals, you know, if you if you move goals, how dangerous is he? How much is he offering for us? If you t- remove goals from the picture, and I think when it comes to Marlon, I'll double check his numbers now, but it's probably a similar story in terms of, you know, him just getting presented with lots of opportunities to to assume the spotlight in Holland, and when he comes to England, it just might not be the case, you know. Yeah, again, so in terms of Marlon, he averaged four. Four shots per match, per ninety. Sorry, in the Dutch VC last season, um, and the season before it was four point three, per ninety. You know, Sadio Mane is on about half that in the Premier League. So, but Mane usually, maybe not the season just finished, but usually Mane just kind of makes the most of it. And around that, yeah. around around Mane not scoring, he's just generally so difficult to defend anyway, so dangerous, such a threat. And I think in the case of Marlon and in the case of Dache, you just have to look at them and, you know, if you're considering scalable output, you just have to consider, you know, if they were, if their output was halved, if they were taking half the shots and maybe they were scoring half the goals, are they still offering enough to be deserving of a place in Liverpool's attack, you know? Yeah, that's very interesting, actually. And if you think about you know, the signings that we've made previously for the front line, they've almost all been players who've kind of had ex- explosive potential when they've joined Liverpool rather than kind of putting up pretty explosive numbers elsewhere. And then maybe that kind of nat- naturally would, would drop off. So maybe it doesn't really uh, fit the fit the bill in that respect. Um, obviously, we're coming towards kind of the final few minutes now. So I'll get you scored and maybe just a little bit about potential weaknesses with Marlon. I know when I looked, his, his pressing numbers were pretty low. Yeah, I think I'd go for about maybe a 7.5 or 8, something like that for Marlon. Um, and in terms of his weaknesses, this isn't really a weakness because it's not really his fault, but his, his agent is Mina Raiola. Um, <laughs> and Liverpool haven't really done business with him for whatever reason over the years. Mm. I don't know why, you know, I'm not, I couldn't really... But I've, I've got an idea, you know, I could guess. Yeah. Um, so maybe that could be a potential stumbling block, I'm not sure. Um, you know, he's... I think his his value would be would be okay. That'd be a fine one. Maybe his physical profile. He's quite small. He's quite you know. In terms of Mane, for example, Mane is really really strong, and he can just he can basically mix it. He can basically compete, and he did prove his ability to do that in England. Again, Marlon would be coming directly from a really youthful league, really to a man's league, and I think there's just one thing Liverpool have been really really good at doing over the past few years is is minimising the risk attached to any potential transfers yeah. and the transfers that do have risk attached to them say for example Minamino or 
Simicast. They, they, they were both signed for, for buttons, really. They were both signed yeah. for, you know, 7 million, 13 million. So if you do lose out there, it's not really that much of a problem. When it comes to this attacker that Liverpool are going to sign this summer, Liverpool will want to get this one right and they will want to minimise any potential risk when it comes to this sign. And I think if you look at Marlon, although he's clearly really, really good, very versatile and stuff, ticks many of the boxes we've already referred to, maybe when you look at the risk, I'd probably say Rafinha is less of a risk. Rafinha looks like um, less of a gamble maybe in terms of whether he will still compete to the desirable level at Liverpool compared to what we've already seen. Um, so yeah, not too many concerns regarding Marlon. Don't get me wrong, he's a good player. I'd like I'd like Liverpool to sign him. I've flagged him myself. Um, but it's just that risk department really where I think Liverpool could maybe look throughout Europe and identify a few players who there's maybe less chance of it going wrong almost. Yeah, so yeah, potentially a lot more expensive, but equally less risky, as you say. Although I think Marlon, if you're using the criteria of world-class ability or world-class potential, certainly fits into the latter. Um, that's pretty, yeah, I would agree, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much all we've got time for. Before we go, Josh, I want, you, I want to give you the opportunity we give to all our guests to plug any work that you want any of our listeners to have a look at. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you can follow me on, on Twitter, at Distance Cold. Um, you'll see a lot of my work on there. You know, I tweet about Liverpool targets and stuff like that quite often. And if you want to listen to me more, um, I have a, a podcast every week called Analyzing Anfield. Uh, that's part of the, the Liverpool Echoes Blood Red channel. And that just involves what it says on the tin, really. You know, just analyzing Liverpool games, Liverpool transfers and all that sort of stuff. Well, I've certainly really enjoyed listening to you talk about these potential options today. And I'll probably listen back to it if any of the if any of the interest really proceeds further any final thoughts Dan? No absolutely brilliant uh, nice one Josh and hopefully get you back on um, towards the end of the window we can talk about all the people we've signed well we, we will see um, what kind of uh, financial mood FSG proved to be in the, in the summer and yeah it will be great to have Josh back on potentially but that's all we've got time for uh, this week uh, we'll be back next Friday for what will be episode 24 see you then Thank you.